Hello, you're listening to Drawn to the Flame. This is another little bonus intro for this, the second episode, except it's not the second episode really, it's still the first, just part two, part 1b. Last episode, Peter and I talked about some of the weapons available to players of Arkham Horror the card game. This episode concludes that early discussion. If you're worried about spoilers, check out the last episode, we had a spoiler warning on that. If you'd like to know how you can get in touch with us, listen until the end of this episode. We're aware we've dived in the deep end with this podcast. We've gone straight for a kind of drill down on very specific detailed discussion. And if you're the kind of person who'd like a broader discussion about the game, we definitely have some episodes like that planned. We've just not got there yet. We just wanted to get started and get something out there. So whatever you're doing, whether that's going for a drive and listening or settling into cleaning your bathroom while listening, thank you so much for subscribing, for your enthusiastic reaction to our early efforts. You're real princes for that, and princesses, and Peter and I are really very grateful. Anyway, on with the show at hand. When we last left our two intrepid investigators... There are two weapons so far belonging to the rogue class and it's worth noting at this point that there are zero weapons belonging to the mystic class and zero belonging to the seeker class. So of the 12 weapons we're going to look at, we're already coming to the end of of the class-specific ones. But here are the the rogue ones. The first one we're looking at is a three-cost asset called the .41 Derringer. It has a combat pip. It is item, weapon, firearm, and illicit traded. When you put it into play, it has uses or uses three ammo. So three costs for three ammo, not too bad. Action, spend one ammo, fight. You get plus two combat for this attack. If you succeed by two or more, this attack deals plus one damage. And it so takes the, up a I hand. I guess one of the... Oh, sorry. Yeah, it's a hand yeah. slot as well. Sorry, I, I, I jumped in there. No, 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 please. This is the first time, or one of the first times, I, I saw this rogue hallmark. Yeah. Where you gain a bonus for succeeding by two or more. We'll come to it, but this appears on the other rogue weapon as well. This is the sort of the sort of, I don't know, the gambling hallmark, the or you know, um, go big or go home hallmark. I don't know what to call it really, but it's uh, exactly as you say it. Ro- well, I. I I, I, I know what I would call it because uh, I, 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 in my head I have a hypothetical rogue card which comes up one day which says you I, I guess it, it, uh, it's an asset which you exhaust when you pass a skill test which gives you plus two oh two wow skill, okay making it look easy so, so that that would fire a lot of these rogue abilities it would be able it would mean you guarantee things like burglary or the 41 derringer fired during the test well and and guarantee is exactly the right word there because that's what you you don't get with the point four one derringer you get plus two combat but you also are required to succeed by a certain amount if you want the damage and the question i always ask myself when i have the derringer is will the plus two combat get me to the point where i'm going to reliably succeed by two certainly playing standard difficulty of Knight of the Zealot, if you're 
too over your target value for a test, your chances of success are very good. But that doesn't mean that you're going to succeed by pulling a zero or pulling a plus one. Often it means you're scraping through pulling a, a minus two and just making making evens win. Yeah. I, so that's, I, I suppose, I, the I, downside I, of the Derringer to me is it's it's unreliable. Exactly, yeah. I think unreliable extra damage is the worst kind of extra damage because I, 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 I can plan my turn less efficiently. I don't know what it is I need to do. You know, if I've got a three a three health enemy with me, that might be it. Might be two attacks. It might be three attacks. Uh, and if it's three attacks, I then can't do anything else with my turn. This is exactly what we're talking about with the cookery, where at least with the cookery you can decide to add the damage after you know that you've succeeded. And this is the opposite of you need to find out what you've succeeded by to find out if you've done the damage. Uh, I suppose another side point: I've had a quite profitable time playing the Derringer in a Wendy deck because she has one combat and so you really don't want to be fighting with her but that means that sometimes you come up against things like Acolytes and you really don't want them sitting around with Doom maybe they're near enough that you want to kill them and they have three fight on the fight check and so Wendy has a really rough time with them and the Derringer is a fairly cheap way of boosting her combat up to make it more reasonable to do one damage. And that feeds nicely into the baseball bat. The reason why the baseball bat isn't as favourable is that the baseball bat takes up two hands. And often I would be doing something else with one of my hands as Wendy, maybe a flashlight or something else, and putting the baseball bat down. We didn't really talk about that when we were talking about the baseball bat, but you are saying that this is the only uh, asset that I'm going to use in my hand slots and everything else needs to fall by the wayside um, interestingly I'm now really going off on a tangent Agnes who has access to the baseball bat often doesn't have things in her hands and doesn't mind too much having the baseball bat in her hands but yeah bringing that all the way back around to the Derringer again it's a plus two combat boost which is not to be sniffed at it's one of only three weapons we've looked at so far that do that four if you count the fire axe that's just sort of berserk um how about the switchblade so this is a one cost asset it's switchblade with an agility pip it is item weapon melee illicit it is it has fast and it has action fight if you succeed by two or more this attack deals plus one damage and it's a hand slot this is the first weapon we've seen with the fast keyword which so, is a very interesting keyword for a weapon to have, I feel. So if, fast means it doesn't take an action, which by extension means it doesn't trigger attacks of opportunity to play. So I can, I can play this while I'm engaged with an enemy without being attacked by the enemy. You're pulling your switchblade out to go to town on them. Yeah, which 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 is lovely. That's It's nice and thematic. And also, as a weapon... You know, you're often going to want to play a weapon if you don't have one when an enemy is engaged with you. You have that awkward moment of, damn it, I have the 4 5 automatic in my hand, if only I'd played it last term. And this, so, to a certain extent, mitigates that because you can pull it out whenever the enemy arrives rather than committing to, to pulling it out. So, so it's, it's cheap, it's fast, uh, it only uses one hand slot, which is all good. It's just a shame that the attack itself is pretty underwhelming. It 
doesn't give me any bonus to my fight and it, it's got a conditional extra damage on it which you know as we talked about on the 41 it, it can be a bit awkward to work around yeah if you if you're if you're using this to fight small enemies that normally have a low fight value that you need to beat like say a swarm of rats that have a fight of one and one health this doesn't help you pass the the fight test and you you do the damage anyway so you may as well have just used your fist and then if you're fighting something like a ghoul where they've got a fight of two and two health you're needing to have a score of four just to kill the ghoul in one hit and you've paid one for that chance but it hasn't actually given you anything to help you get to that point in the test which is a bit tricky isn't it so so i get like the person who wants this to use this weapon is someone who's already good at fighting and someone who's already good at fighting likely has a better weapon a more reliable weapon that they can use yeah there are no investigators at the moment that have you know a combat of four or five but don't have access to the guardian or mainly the guardian weapons maybe the survivor weapons so there aren't they're not going damn i wish i had the switchblade i wonder if there would be a place for this playing in a deck that had another way of boosting your combat maybe through um beat cop or maybe through hired muscle the one xp ally that came out in it's a rogue ally that came out in the Dunwich legacy and gives you a permanent combat boost or maybe there's a way of using it with uh, keen eye as you mentioned that if you can boost yourself for the turn by two or three which is quite a lot to pay to go up by two or three you can then you can then semi-reliably get the extra damage perhaps i'm not i'm not sure i'm convincing myself in saying that (laughs) it doesn't sound like you're convincing yourself I feel maybe it's a bit of a puzzle where we haven't seen the whole picture yet. There's a possibility switchblade if there's some other support for it. I think you're right, and I think part of the part of the the one of the clues there is this illicit keyword that we've seen a few rogue items with illicit on them, and we've yet to find out what that does or or what support there is there. And it might just be that there's a card later that makes playing illicit items cheaper, which gives these these cards more value. But maybe it would be something, like you say, that allows this succeed by two or more to happen more reliably. Uh, it might be that, you know, when you use yeah. an illicit card, count your value as plus one or or whatever it is that, that starts to feed into this idea of um, illicit cards succeeding in a certain way. Yeah, so maybe... I'm, I'm, I'm leaving it just in the binder for the moment. Uh, yeah. Okay. Noted. <laughs> yeah. Shine in the future. It's it's one of those ones where I've only played it a little bit, and I've not been wowed by it. But I'm not, and we're so early in this game's life that it seems a bit premature to to dismiss any card out of hand entirely. But maybe that's just that we're both generous players. So. <laughs> That's the, I'm just trying to count, nine weapons that are available as it stands at the moment. The other thing that I sort of have on the, in the back of my mind is that there doesn't seem to be that much of a difference between a firearm or a melee traded weapon. 
except that firearms have limitations on ammo. The firearms aren't, yeah. to my eye, we've looked at two, the Derringer and the Automatic. They're not, they're not that much better. I'm not saying that they should be. The only difference is that they have this limitation of ammo. And maybe that will become important later on. Without wanting to spoil anything in the actual scenarios, we have seen at least one situation where a type of weapon has a disadvantage over another type of weapon. I, I'm, I'll have to dance around this a bit here, but but a, a certain enemy, one of the two types of weapon is less effective. Yeah, I know what you're talking about, and I, in the interest of spoilers, I'm also not going to get involved talking about yeah. that. So instead, but I, I think I think I think that's interesting though. Uh, it, it's worth touching on briefly that that this is this is another balancing tool the designers have got. Yeah. To tweak the effectiveness of weapons if if everyone's only running melee weapons maybe melee weapons have less effect against the enemies that crop up more often yeah yeah you're completely right and i suppose i suppose that's one way they they can really throw a spanner into the works i mean we've seen in the spoiler for the fourth mythos pack in the dunwich legacy cycle undimensioned and unseen that there's this suggestion that conventional weapons don't work at all and as investigators we'll be trying to find a different way of dealing with the horror that we face so that might be you know that that firearms cease to do anything that we need them to do they might also do things that play on on range i suppose and maybe aloof enemies that could be something there i'm not sure Anyway, yeah, yeah. These aren't. This isn't the end of weapons because two and a half investigators have weapons as their um, investigator-specific items. What are they called? Unique assets. Uh, mm-hmm. So I'll read the first one. This I think for many people was the first investigator that they played or saw. It's Roland's thirty-eight special. So it has a unique. Uh, it's unique. And it's a three-cost asset. It has combat, agility, and wild pips. It's item, weapon, firearm. It's his deck only. It uses four ammo. And it has action. Spend one ammo. Fight. You get plus one combat for this attack. This attack deals plus one damage, which is exactly the same as the .45 automatic. But it also has, in, in parenthesis, if there are one or more clues on your location, you get plus three combat instead. And it takes up one hand. This is a, a, a straight upgrade to the forty-five, really, isn't it? Yeah. Aside from from being unique, uh, you know, if you have the forty-five and Roland's thirty-eight in your hand, you pretty much always want to play Roland's thirty-eight. Definitely, it costs one less. It gives you the exact same amount of ammo, the exact same bonus, but with a really tasty plus three fight. If there are clues around, so early in the game as well, when you're moving into a new location where there'll almost certainly be clues, it's just wonderful. And, and of course, Ro- Roland always he wants to be fighting in locations where there are clues as well. Exactly, you don't want to be waiting somewhere where there aren't clues for enemies to come to you or spawn to you or 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 to deal with them there, where you actually can't use the bonus of this weapon. You want to go and put yourself somewhere. Else. This also works really nicely in Roland. If in your other hand you have something like the machete and you can be a little bit more selective about when you want that plus three combat bonus or you've saved it up for a moment where you go, okay, this is a this is a big fight. I can do a couple of actions where I'm almost certainly guaranteeing hitting and I'm definitely doing the damage. 
And then if you're using other Guardian cards that get to add damage, it makes those cards more reliable. You can see Roland's fight going up to... Uh, his combat going up to 8, 9, depending on what you're using, maybe 10, which starts to get really tasty. So yeah, it's a really good card. Do you want to read Jenny Barnes's yeah, signature asset? So this, this is an asset which costs X, and it's Jenny's twin... 45s and they are a perfect fit so it has two agility pips and one wild pip it is an item weapon firearm this is Jenny Barnes deck only and it has uses X ammo so that's however much you spend is how much ammo you get and this is it has action spend one ammo fight you get plus two combat for this attack and this attack deals plus one damage and it's got some flavor text Say, are those Mr. Donahue's guns? Jenny held a pistol over her shoulder and struck a pose. I think they suit me better than him. Don't you agree? And I definitely he agree, uses, Jenny. <laughs> he uses both hand spots. So in terms of design, I love that it's two forty-fives. so there are two agility pips. And I also love that it's two forty-five, so you're getting plus two combat with the damage bonus rather than just plus one combat, which I think is just it's just neat. It's nice. I haven't played as Jenny yet, and we've I've, I've played with someone else playing with Jenny, and he managed to get, you know, a, a twin 45 with something like 10 ammo on it, which really lets you go, go to town. I mean, it's a, at that point, it's effectively infinite ammo, because I, I don't think you're going to use 10 shots in a game. And it's good. It's got good stats on it. It's plus it's plus two combat, which is really nice. So Jenny has really a combat nice. normally of three. And the other thing, in case people aren't aware, is that Jenny gains an additional resource during the upkeep phase each turn. So she gets two resources a turn rather than one, which plays very nicely into, as you say, getting to that point where you can put this down with plenty of ammo on it. And that sets you up for the rest of the game, more or less. You're you're foregoing having anything else in your hands, but as long as you're prepared for that, you're then in a very nice place for the rest of the game. Um, I've played as Jenny quite a lot. I've played as Jenny solo, and then I've also um, in an ongoing campaign where I'm playing Jenny. One of the things I love about the card is working out how much ammo you want on it, trying to gauge how deep into the scenario you are, how much fighting you're going to be doing, um, sort of getting your head around that is actually just really enjoyable kind of mini challenge of the card that you have it sitting in your hand and you're thinking, well, if I wait another turn, I'll have two more resources. Oh, but I've got a backstab in my hand, so maybe I want to save three for that. Or, you know, it just it feeds into that really enjoyable gameplay experience of kind of trying to make those micro decisions and what ramifications they might have the other great thing about it is that Jenny can get lots of different money cards through being in the rogue faction so she can even get things like hot streak which means you can set up these amazing plays where you you know action one play hot streak action two put down the twin 45s for too much money so yeah I like it I think it's really good Particularly, again, if she has hired muscle or a beat cop down, she starts to look like a really impressive fighter. If she's swinging for combat of something like six, that's 
pretty reliable for most fights. If you're also playing the Jenny Talent deck where you're boosting her using um, Hard Knocks, you can comfortably get her up to eight combat and then she's you know, basically like a sort of Roland character at that point. She's gone full full warrior. Let's move on. The third investigator-specific weapon, but I'm doing air quotes, which you can't see, is Duke, who's the loyal hound. And the reason I just wanted to mention him briefly is that he has the fight keyword or action indicator on his card. So Hang, he... hang on, Frank. You told me when you invited me on here that this was going to be weapons. Yeah, he's probably you can't see it on your on your uh, card, but weapon has been rubbed off and ally has been written. He's the weaponized hound. Um, so I thought he was worth worth mentioning because I'll just read the I'll read the action that that matters. So you can exhaust him and fight, and you attack with a base combat skill of four. This attack deals plus one damage, and I thought he's worth mentioning because if you play an Ashkan Peak deck you're probably going to be doing that a fair amount and it's worth thinking about how that compares to the weapons that we've discussed so far. Uh, would you run Pete with another weapon as well as Duke? I would, and I'd maybe run him in that Pete deck that I alluded to earlier. I was running Fire Axe and Duke and that was how I was getting a reliable four damage. It was the, the, sorry, it was the same deck that, that I've been running. I, oh. I've run that Pete deck as well. Okay, yeah. Yeah, so so maybe first action you're using Duke and you're swinging with a base attack skill of four and doing an extra damage and you're maybe throwing in an overpower to get that to six. And then second action you're then using the fire axe and you're chucking in your last couple of resources to go up to six again, um, six combat again, and then that's giving you another damage and that's how you're doing four damage in two actions. And you're then maybe chucking a card away to ready Duke and move and investigate um, as your last action. So... What Duke's doing here that's interesting is so it's an asset that's exhausting to fight rather than than any of the other weapons we've had, which is slightly different. And it's also an asset that's resetting the base value for the test to something else. So in those ways, it's really not like any of the other weapons we've seen, which is understandable because he's not weapon traded. But then you also get that very nice, this attack deals plus one damage which really, given the number of weapons we've looked at that don't reliably offer the bonus damage, here's looking at you, Blackjack, and Switchblade, and Derringer, um, yeah. to, have, to have that as an action on tap, that you're, you're getting a vicious blow or you're getting the equivalent of uh, a machete swing or a .45 automatic shot, but every turn, it's pretty powerful. Yeah, yeah, definitely, yeah. Well, should we move on to the, the, the king of all the weapons, I guess? <laughs> yes. Okay, so this is a, a five-cost asset. It's the shotgun. It has two combat pips. It is item weapon firearm, and it has uses two ammo, only two. It has action, spend one ammo. This is this is a mouthful, so I'm just going to take a deep breath. Yeah, prepare yourself. Spend one ammo, fight, uh, you gain plus three combat for this attack. Instead of its standard damage, this attack deals one damage for each point you succeed by, to a minimum of one, to a maximum of five. If you fail and would damage another investigator, this attack deals one damage for each point you fail by, 
to a minimum of one and to a maximum of five. And it uses both hand slots. I've played quite a bit of Guardian, but I've never really been tempted to pick up the shotgun, even though it is incredibly beefy and it's got, you know, if you can land a solid hit with it, it's enough to kill even even one of the, the kind of end of level boss type monsters. It's, it asks an awful lot from you. It's a huge five, amount. Five install and both hands. And four experience. Which, for experience, of course, yeah. So if you want to run two in your deck to reliably see it, because at the moment we have no ways of searching for a weapon or a firearm from our deck, that means, yeah, you're investing eight experience in in potentially two or four shots, which is a lot. It is the only weapon which does have... Well, the only um, non-investigator weapon which does have two pips, so two combat pips. It, it's really nice to have. Definitely. And there might be times, depending on... you know, Say you're playing this in Roland and you've seen his investigator-specific weapon early you decide you're not going to put the shotgun down and then it's you've got another overpower in your deck. Sometimes, depending on how the scenario is going, it's just too much of an ask to pay five and throw away a machete or something else. I suppose I suppose the other thing that's worth thinking about when we think about the shotgun is it's worth looking at another card, which is extra ammunition, which is a two-cost event, which costs one XP to have in your deck, and it says... Place three ammo tokens on a firearm asset controlled by an investigator at your location. Flavor text. I've never met a beast that could outsmart a bullet. Yeah, so uh, extra ammunition, I, I think, is, is a really nice card. If you're, if you're running shotgun, at least, I'd be, I'd be tempted to take it. It's a, If you draw it after you've played your 45, it's much better than drawing another 45. So it's only two ammo for another three shots, uh, two cost for another three shots. And with a shotgun, it's fantastic, because a shotgun is costing me five only for two shots. So spending two, then, to get uh, you know another three shots out of the shotgun is fantastic value. Yeah, but of course, you have to really draw good value. extra ammunition after you've already got your weapon. Yeah, if you draw it early, it sits in your hand, it has one intellect icon pip on it, and you're then waiting to draw the shotgun, get that into play, then put the ammo on it, which starts to become very action intensive i've used the shotgun a little bit i've always only used it towards the end of the of the knight of the zealots campaign i've not always chosen it though i've often been tempted by other things in guardian i've had i think one instance where it was fantastically powerful and then i've had other instances where i've either regretted paying the five to put it into play or I've had it in my hand and never had the time to play it, or maybe I've had a dynamite blast and the shotgun in my hand. They both cost five. You sort of <laughs> dynamite blast is a reliable three damage rather than a yeah, yeah. A, a random three damage. I, I, I think the, maybe the two hands is also it's a big ask because you lose a lot of flexibility using your other hand slot. So the the, the shotgun is definitely a it's if you're attacked by a rat. You know, a shotgun's a sledgehammer to crack a walnut. Yeah. You want you want to have, you know, even just a knife. If if you're attacking a rat or just a ghoul, the shotgun you don't want to use up those precious shots. I, I get two shots of it and then it's gone. I want to save it for when I'm fighting something 
very scary, very big and scary. So it forces this sort of intensely planned approach as an investigator where you know where the, the big enemy is going to be, you know when they're going to engage you, and you are able to set up. And then you're also crossing your fingers that the mythos, the encounter deck rather, the mythos phase, doesn't mess up your plan by springing you know, a small enemy that you also then need to deal with onto you. Of course, the Guardians we've seen have ways of dealing with little enemies. If you're if you're playing this in Zoe and, and a rat comes and engages you, you can use her cross to, to yeah, pin sure. the rat. Um, or beat cop as well. Or beat cop as well. Or guard dog can also do damage if you're taking damage from things. So there are ways of getting around I, I, I get, it. We have seen spoiled in the Dunwich cycle already. We've seen a card which gives extra slots. Yes. Uh, I, I, that's certainly something which... I can see happening maybe a card like a holster, which gives us an extra hand slot for firearms. I think could could be a distinct possibility, something along those lines. Yeah. And I think at that stage, I'm much more tempted by the shotgun. Yeah. If you could, if you could be running the shotgun and have another gun out, <laughs> you start to become a really scary proposition, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The the other thing that's worth thinking about is just that. We've also, the Night of the Zealot campaign is only three scenarios long, five scenarios if you if you add extra bits into it. So it's not that long of a campaign. And already we're seeing with the Dunwich Legacy campaign, which is going to be eight scenarios long at its shortest, that you could, in theory, end up with the shotgun in your deck after scenario one. And you might find it having an incredible amount of use over the next seven scenarios. You know, I think of it at the moment as a sort of end game card, but actually there might be a way of building your deck where you you're quite well prepared for this being your main weapon, and and you've maybe built your yeah. deck to mitigate the cost and mitigate mitigate the the two hand slots and things like that. And then having the, in, in that case having the double pips is is really good. I mean, people run. I, I run if I'm running a combat deck, I'll put overpower in there, which which does mean nothing except draw a card and give two pips yeah so a, a shotgun it gives me two pips uh, so I mean it doesn't draw me a card but I can use it as a weapon uh, and for only I guess only one more than the the 45 yeah for one more so I mean again I'm not I'm not the hugest of number crunches but you don't get as much ammo but the shots you take you get plus three for the for combat which is just a, a fantastic bonus. Um, if you're trying to get two up for most tests, just the pass, three up is wonderful. I think I think the mistake people maybe make or can make is is getting bogged down with the very complicated bit of text about how much damage they want to do, when actually, well, this is it. Yeah. If you're and getting two or three damage out of a shot, you're doing well. Yeah, it's 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 a it's a card which lends itself to best casing. I think. Yeah, people are looking at it and thinking, "Oh, I can do seven damage in, in a single shot with this." Yeah, uh, which is going to happen vanishingly rarely. Yeah, someone's going to double or nothing their shot to um, <laughs> yeah try and immediately kill things. Yeah, and I, I mean, I suppose I was doing a little bit of best case and would saying, "You want the shotgun? You also want the extra ammo? You want to get them both in play? Play one on the other?" And how often that actually happens is pretty rare. So. I think that concludes the cards that are weapons at the moment. 
I confess I was a little bit daunted to dive in and look at them, but when you actually fan them out like that, there really actually aren't that many. And they really divide up into doing two things. One is add combat strength, and the other is add damage. And if you can get one that reliably does both of those things, you're in quite a sweet place. It's, it's interesting that they've... We see a fair variety of weapons, even just out of the corsets and the, the, the big box that's come out. Uh, we've gone, you look at a card like Fire Axe, uh, which we talked about for a good five minutes, and you look at a machete, which on the surface of it, it was very similar, but they're, they're very different in that they're, they're used in very different situations. FFG have shown that they're already willing to, to try different things with the weapons. I guess the the challenge is going forwards to continue to do that and to give us weapons that are varied and weapons that we have. Makers make difficult choices when we're building our decks. Yeah, I think for the firearms, it's a little bit more difficult to be varied, isn't it? Because it's all ammo and it's all it's all bullets. The the really interesting sort of conditional text comes in on those cards you mentioned, machete and fire axe, and also the cookery where you can add this this sort of slashing effect where you invest more time to be more painful. But you're completely right. It's quite exciting, the range that's already already available and the possible strategies that it promotes. Are weapons for everyone? Probably not. In future episodes, we'll look at spells and we'll probably have an evasion-specific episode because fighting your way through the monsters of the mythos isn't the only way to go about it. So I think that's more or less the end of today's episode. If you want to get in touch with us, you can find me on Twitter. My name's at FB, which is at EPH underscore BEE. Or you can find Peter on Reddit at... As... I'm on pretty much everything as, as Unitled. So that's U-N-I-T-L-E-D. Unitled, so not unit-led, but it's I'm the on same. Discord, I'm on Reddit, I'm on Twitter, uh, as that. So yeah, you can find me on Discord if you want to. I think I'm, am I Zozo on there or Zooey Glass? Can't remember. Zooey Glass on there, yeah. Yeah, and then I'm on ArkhamDB as Zozo, and if it has a Z and a No, it might be me. Is the easiest way to remember <laughs> it. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, in our next episode, we'll probably look at. Allies.